0: NRL nines is wrapped up, and Cubs and I are unwrapping what's been happening in PNG. Welcome to the first asterisk ever episode of a rugby league podcast devoted to a country devoted to rugby league. Hit the music merch. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos. The Rugby League podcast for fans
1: who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places.
0: Hello and welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. I'm Big T, hashtagging Grow the Game by myself this week. We have two interviews lined up. The first is an interview with PNG Hunters coach Matthew Church, a fantastic bloke working hard for both his team and the community there. And the second is with Stanley Janay, who is the unofficial Kumuls goat. He talks about his humble beginnings to the height of Super League. He muses on how to improve the game in PNG and reveals the greatest mystery of all: his age. First, let's get a big T in the field with Coach Matt Church. Thanks. Sitting patiently on the phone today is a man leading everyone's favourite rugby league-loving nation. He has helped coach a number of teams, including the Melbourne Storm. He's currently the head coach of the PNG Hunters. Matthew Church, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos. Thanks, Big T. Thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to be on Chasing Kangaroos. Yeah, fantastic, Matt. And we we're, were suggesting that this could possibly be the first ever um, podcast episode dedicated to Papua New Guinea Rugby League. To the best of your knowledge, could that be right? As
1: far as I know. I haven't heard one. So yeah, excellently. We'll, we'll run with that anyway. We'll claim it, eh?
0: Yeah, and then you, your name will now be on that Wikipedia page. We're part of history, me Congratulations. <laughs> um, and while I'm congratulating you, congratulations on the appointment.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's certainly an historic move for the club. Mm. And also for myself. You know, I think I put myself in a position over a number of years of keeping turning up and working hard. And um, playing, getting the fruits of that and seeing it in
0: a full-time role. Yeah, excellent, champion. Now, how did you originally um get into rugby league though? Um, my, my dad was a player. Yep. Uh,
1: he played a bit of reserve grade for Western Brisbane. All oh, back before I was born. I uh, then moved on to play for Sanford, which is a local Brisbane team that play out of the, one of the sub district competitions. And uh, from two years old, I was I was the team mascot. <laughs> and, um, <I> guess. <laughs> I still have the jersey from back then. Oh, and, really? Uh, it had dollar curtains. Yeah, it had dollar curtains on the on the jersey of a sponsor. And I thought <laughs> I was pretty cool turning up in my training with a sponsor on the jersey because no other the jersey had <laughs> those. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's one of my earliest memories. And the other ones, was, I guess, we used to drop dad off to some obscure spots. The team minibus would soon turn up, not long after, pick him up and take off within half hanging out the door um, on the way to some, some away game. So, yeah right. Yeah, that's probably how you know, I got in. Got involved and found the love with rugby
0: league through through my dad. Yeah right. And so they're your first memories of it then, watching your dad play.
1: Yeah yeah. Other than watching dad play, you know, I remember as an eight year old, they used to do the halftime games at the BRL right um, at Lane Park. So we headed to Lane Park on one Friday night in the middle of winter to play between a. I actually remember it, brothers Earth North. Wow. Um, yeah, back then you were barefoot in those days. Uh, at eight years old, so once you stepped onto the hollow turf, your, your feet went instantly numb. <laughs> um, okay. uh, I don't have a, a, the fondest memories of, of my first encounter with playing Buck. My first touch, I did a hit up off the cat. Uh, I went down, carried off, not to return. So I had the opportunity to play on there a couple more times and create better memories. But I, I would say, you know, that, that playing as an eight-year-old. And you know, growing up, loving watching State of Origin. Right. Mum always used to make me go to bed early and then wake me up to watch it over a couple of hot Milo. So <laughs> that was really exciting. There's that was something really exciting times
0: as a kid. Yeah, there's something in that. We should have. We've got to get on the NRL um, recruitment because I think hot cups of NRL of Milo is an excellent way to get kids probably to do anything, but particularly yeah. to up watching and and involved in rugby league. Great thinking. The church mamas yeah, she's exactly. revolutionizing rugby league back in the day. Now, um you, yeah, you sound they, like uh, a crazy are
1: a big sponsor up here. Are they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they um, they're involved with the NRL up here, so they, they look after the, like sponsor some stuff with the mini mod, um, with uh, in partnership with the NRL with the programs before they actually get into the National Schools League up right. here. So um, I might have might have done them a, a favour.
0: Mm, for sure. Plugging them. This is this is starting to make a lot of sense. So your family's crazed watching football, eating Milo. PNG is a crazed yeah. rugby league nation <laughs> eating Milo and watching football. I mean, what what's your yeah. experience has been of the place so far, PNG?
1: Uh, well, you know, they're certainly fanatical. I actually made my Queensland Cup debut at the very same Oval that um, I was about to make my coaching debut. Shut um, up. Since, no, no. So the old Lloyd Robson Oval in 97 when the previous incarnation of the uh, PNG Queens Cup side, the Port Moresby Warriors, are in the competition. Um, so ever since then, I've been taken by their passion yeah, um, right. for the game. But they're so they're so passionate. They expect immediate success, which is, is a little bit daunting at mm. times. Mm. Um, but you know, over the, over the past three seasons, they've uh, lost 20 odd players overseas. Um, wow! Which ultimately we, we we need to have our players exposed in um, high level competitions overseas. For our long term international right. success, yeah, yeah. Um, but with with that, you know, it's uh, it's highlighted a need for improvement in the current development systems in the, in PNG. Mm. Uh, we're lucky that we have a, a national competition at 12th, so there's a there's a pool of 360 players all trying to become hunters. Yeah, wow. There's also um, yeah, there's also four regions or conferences within PNG, uh, all with their own league or associate league. Wow. Um, and it, yeah, so in December we. Our, our, my, the Hunter Stadium hosted a, a nine tournament, a men's nine tournament. So it was only for the Southern Conference. So only teams within the Southern region could, could attend. Right. They had seventy six teams play uh, over a four four or five day competition. So sorry, how many of players or talent? Seventy six.
0: No, I, I thought you said seven or six, but I just wanted to check. You're saying no, seventy six? No, no. Far out. Seventy six.
1: Um, So there's no shortage of players or talent. It's a shortage (laughs) of quality coaching at the moment. So I'm hoping to improve improve that.
0: Right. So that's the probably. I mean, you said to players are going uh, to going overseas, and so you know, bringing them up through those development things. But but the major focus you think is coaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So if you um, Michael Maram, obviously. Who I took no, is yep. a level three qualified coach. Um, only one in country, or two. now two because I, I, I held the level three. Um, but prior to to me coming here, there was only Michael at level three and two others at level two. Wow. Um, since then, three put through the latest um, level two coaching. um yet to be um, accredited yet, but that's where I see the the shortage or the or the downfall of uh, of it is just that. You know, there's so many players, but there's a lack of quality coaching, I
0: guess. But is that because, I mean, I'm trying to work out why. I mean, are, are those 76 teams, they've all got coaches that are just not accredited? Or does it yeah, people just yeah. don't want to coach? Yeah,
1: they're just, uh, oh, people want to coach, so they all have a coach.
0: It's yeah. just that um, there's no
1: formal process. So we're, I'm working with the NRL, even some of our boys uh, on their off dates, the 100s boys will go back and coach some of their local leagues right. from around the area. Um, so, I'm looking at getting those boards at level one accreditation just while they're in, in with us and working closely with Mark Mom at the NRL to, to be able to provide that platform for them so that, you know, if they see a development pathway going forward, then maybe there's something in that for them. So, yeah, yeah. No, i you're also it's going to help, I well, guess, me if they're having a coach um, week to week, then they're getting an understanding of where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah. Far out. Okay, rad. So let's look specifically at, the, at um, the hunters. What's been your first experience with the team as a head coach?
1: Uh, there was a fair bit of trepidation from, I guess, from the players. Yeah, nervous to see what the new coach would be like. Um, for me personally, having coached against the team last year, I, I felt that we really needed to work on their skill set.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, go go right back to basics and just work on improving their efficiency. Um, to me, rugby league is a game about time. So you save time and you catch pass, but that also creates time for the next player that you're passing it right. to. So, um, a huge focus on, on that and just perfecting or making their technique a little bit more efficient. And that, and I guess that probably comes back to, um, the, the coaching that's not there, um, that, you know, we're used mm. to back in Australia. Um, so but to the players credit um, they've taken everything i'm so grateful and, and for them to be open to my coaching
0: yeah excellent okay and and i've i've seen a few articles recently where you've been talking about how improving um, personal goals for, for people trying to help them get to their um, personal goals is really how coaches find success how do you go about doing that
1: yeah well firstly i think all I do it by giving them an understanding of, of why you're doing something a certain way um, you know, A lot of coaches back in the day used to go, I want to do it like this, but there's no, no explanation of why you're doing that. Uh, so right. giving them an understanding of that, um, just having clear role clarity and what they what they should be doing in their role and knowledge of how their role fits into the process or the, the bigger scheme. Um, and I think you really need to invest in your players. So you, you've got to want to make them better people, not just better players. Mm. And, and I guess lastly, and especially with p and people, um, they're emotive, so you need to capture their heart, so they'll buy
0: into you way before they buy into what you know. Yeah, wow. Can you just take me back to the role bit? I'm going to get to this heart and mind yep. thing a bit later on, but I often hear coaches talk about, um, you know, that, you know, you've just got to do your job or do your role. Can Can you pinpoint a position yep. for me and tell me what, like a, a prop, what would you be telling a prop forward his 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 or her role would be for a game or, or for a period of time?
1: Okay, so um, if, you, if you're talking positionally, just stay between the scrum lines. Yep. Um, yeah. You've got a, right. a pop going down, down a short set. So re- regardless of where you're transitioning from attack orders. to... Defense, you mm. sort of don't want to be crossing over more than one person. So if you've got a prop running down, yeah, coaches might do that, but if you've got a prop going down uh, a short side, to me, in my system, I think um, he's out of position. Yep. So it's more about, okay, well, let the ball do the work, get to the far side of the field, um, and it's going to come back to you. Right. Uh, we want to play with a bit of width. So and if I can break it down even further to, to the role of dummy half, you know, if we played off one scrum line and then, you know, and shifted to the right and went out that side into the 10, 10 meter zone, well I don't want him running from that twenty that scrum line all the way over to the other yeah. side of the field. That's yeah, why right. hard on their coming half passing. So let let him just stay in the middle of the field and have two passes we can get back into the middle of the field. So instead of just sort of having a lay play, a lay play, let's be let's be more dynamic. But you know, it's more efficiency as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to keep my dummy half if he's running from one side of the field to the other when he could just stay in the middle and let someone else step up to do that role for one, one little piece.
0: And a message like that, do you go and tell him – you go and tell your dummy half that, you know, a couple of times so he gets it in or do you tell the team that while talking to the dummy half so the team gets that whole message about what his role is or, or do you go and yeah, tell yeah, him – Yeah, and-
1: so- I think, I think um, initially you've got to tell the whole thing so yep. they've all got an understanding of what e- where each person fits into the into the process. Right. Um, and then if he doesn't do it, that's when you can pull the aside and do it one on one. I think uh, yeah, coaching, co- coaching at the, the, the highest levels, the, the less you can break down the whole session just to talk to one person, the better. So you need to like, have each session continually flow. And you can just grab that one person and go, "Hey, yeah, I need you to be here," or you know, give them that little bit of feedback so that we're not breaking and we're not stopping the whole session because you're going to create a bad habit there. Yeah, right. You're going to create a habit of the team just stops if you know we don't get the call the right way or whatever it might
0: be. Right. So, okay. Well, thinking about the, those sessions and your squad, who who's really impressed you or excited you um, at the moment in your playing group?
1: Um I've oh, seen a number of a number of guys. I think what people across the world love about Papua New Guineans is their physicality. They mm. so just give everything they've got. Um we did a, a session yesterday with this with running the pads and it was yeah, it was getting out of control. It's like explained <laughs> by site and center, so with um, tags. Good, yeah, with, with the pads, you know, like the, the tackle the tackle yeah, the the tackle pad, yeah, pads. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Um, so it was it's good to see because they love the contact. Um, so Obviously, excited to see what we've got a few test players in the squad, so I'm excited what they can do mm. to the I guess one of the boys that's um, been in the squad for the last few years, and he's had a bit of injury, uh, interrupted season last year, is a bloke called Illa Alu. Okay. Um, and he essentially has the perfect skill set for the way I want the boys to play, so, and he's been really at the in, in the pre season mm. and was really voted by players and staff as, as displaying great leadership so we've since named him our vice captain. Excellent, right. Wow. Yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of other first year players that are really impressed me with their competitive nature. Um, guys like Casey Dixon and Emmanuel Wine. They they're just balls the muscle. They're raw, but they're just balls the muscle and they just want to play. Yeah. Um another another first year player is a guy called Steve Bruno. He actually only took up playing rugby league a couple of years ago after growing up playing soccer. Oh He's wow. still very raw uh, but a representative from his community rang to say what an impression that him being in the hunter's camp had made on the young boys from where he's from. So mm. they stopped smoking, stopped trying to beat them up, stopped playing soccer and wow. started playing rugby league. So, wow. So to me, that's impact. Yeah. So that's
0: well, talking about impact, let's go back to that winning the hearts um to win the minds thing. How do you do something like that?
1: Oh, it's just, you've got to have authentic relationships. You've got to care about your players. And uh, I think the easiest way to do that is, well, I'm actually here to serve my players. Mm. Um, you know, I think the, if I think back to people throughout uh, my playing days or, or you know, or coaches that I've had, that the ones that are look after their own interests don't tend to last very long in organisations. They kind of get shuffled out the door. Right. Um, and I think it's because, you know, they're, they're trying to use their players to serve them, and um, I've got my own goals, no doubt about it, and I'm an aspirational kind of person, but, right. um, but if you know if I'm not serving my players, then they're not going to play to their best, which is not going to help me in the long run anyway, so I've got to be there um, to, to offer any assistance that I can, so I think that's probably the easiest way you can you can get them on your side, yeah. um, but as I said before, yeah, they buy into you way before they buy into what you know, so you've got to be someone of character or someone that they want to follow, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I read yesterday that um, one of the biggest challenges you were saying was, while well, even speaking to the playing group, not many people in the PNG, you've found culturally swear a lot. And, and as someone who, with a, a tradie background, you're finding that really difficult <laughs> not to use that language. I mean, I'm sure that's not actually your biggest challenge, but what is? what have you found to be probably your biggest challenge facing you um, in this upcoming season?
1: I think, I think for going forward... Last year, the biggest challenge I guess come forward is turning around the self-image. So the back end of last year, they had 50 and 60 points put on them Oof. fairly regularly. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a that's a fair shift from that to being you know winning winning games. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, being able to just stay in the contest and and, and face that face adversity. Um, I think a big challenge with them also is is getting them to play at or over the advantage line. And and the play in numbers are a very one out last year. Right. passed really deep, so with the, with the defenses these days, the deception's goal at the line. So passing deeps gives the opposition the chance to double defend, mm. um, or more time to shut down that. Um, so that would be the biggest kind of challenges, I guess, facing the team. And for me personally, it'd be just managing that that public expectation. Um, you know, the, the team and myself want to restore the pride in what the Hunters mean to, to us but also to, to what it means to all more people to
0: be Okay, and would you say that's your, your major goal for the next two years or are there other major things you want to try and tick off?
1: Oh, no, there's a, yeah, I've, got, I've got a few things <laughs> up there. Obviously, just, just continuous improvement so um, I spoke all pre-season about just each session just being better than the last and I think if we just work on small increments of improvement that's where um, we, we'll, I guess, negate that self-image that would probably carry in, from last year, right. Um, the other the other two goals that I've got or plans that I have in place is just coach education, so upskill as many coaches as possible that uh, I can. So, um, I'll work with the twelve Big L Cup coaches to, to share my knowledge and knowledge transfer down to them, and what we're looking for in our hunters' phase. And to me, that means that the hunters are going to have a greater reach or um, you know exposure across the across the nation with that. Right. Um, with our players, I think. We need to educate them or, or offer them work placement programs. Um, we need to make sure that they're, they're equipped for when they leave our program. Um, they get into, into life or to a post-career football. Um, you know, when they're going back to their communities, they're going back better, better humans. Um, and the other, the other thing, which is probably a big one that, um, that gets overlooked is just our development ideas. Just, we need to expose our players at a younger age. So most of the boards that come to it. the Hunters program they're in the mid twenties and their ages. Right. So it's about exposing their talent at a younger age from that eighteen to twenty year old. So they're more attractive propositions to NRL or Super League clubs. Mm. Um, yeah, and then that obviously the more the more we can get into the NRL or Super League, it means a greater impact we're going to have on the international stage
0: as well. This job sounds. I mean, I don't want to simplify, but I, I feel like if you're coaching the NRL team your goal is oh, I'm going to try and win a competition. Whereas with a team that you've got, it's like you're, you're really trying to I'm, – I'm trying to improve football, but I'm also really helping a large – like I'm really helping the country and it, its self-image and how it deals with itself. That's an incredibly huge job to, to take on. Like is that – I mean you must have known that's yeah. what you're getting into when, you, when you're doing it.
1: Yeah, well, I guess
0: part of the interview process, is, you know, when you, when
1: you know you're fine, it's team do interview for a job um, – and, you, and you want to, if you want to get it, you've got to swing for the fences and aim high. Yeah, I looked at, you know, just and obviously all of this is my take on it, and you know people might disagree with what, how I'm looking at it, but um, you know we want to push forward and we need to. We're the closest thing that you'll get to an NRL organisation as it stands. Mm-hmm. Where our players are full time, all my staff are full time. Whereas that doesn't happen at any other ISC club. Yeah. Right. So we need, we need to aim to be closer to the NRL. So that's not only the football staff or the players. It's also our admin. We, if they want us to be the best in the IFC, then we need to have the best staff in the IFC. We need to have the best admin or back office in the IFC. So it's about dragging that standard up closer to the NRL, but also um, knowing that it's bottom bottom up. So we need to help the level below us and drag them closer where we are at the moment, so that. Um, everyone, improves across the country,
0: yeah, wow, what a what an incredible um story that's happening over there. That's just fantastic. I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed, man. It's uh, wow. Um, okay, well, let's yeah. let's try and you're talking a lot about the NRL. Can can the PNG have a team in the NRL? Is that a, f- a foreseeable like thing that could happen?
1: Oh, look, well, I think definitely it's a potential to have a have an NRL side based in PNG, yeah. Um, just a few years ago, the government backed PNG bid for 20 million Kenya, which I think translates to about 8.5 million Australians. A uh, bid to put together to try and buy the Titans license.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, do, I do feel that that mentality is probably the wrong way to enter the NRL. My personal take on it is it's not a nightclub and so you get to pay at the door and they just let you in. Right. Um, so, so I think that's the mindset that we need to try and change. Um, if you look at PNG, there's, there's more people playing rugby league in PNG than at Samoa, Fulmer, Fiji, and New Zealand combined. Wow. That's wow.
0: Combined? Far out.
1: Combined, yes. So, for me, it's about development. So, if that $20 chain was spent in development, coach education would be a whole lot closer to the NRL today. Um, it, the way that I see it, it's um, PNG's the production line just waiting to be switched on. So, when we actually do get that right, and I'll come knocking on our door and say, hey, we want you to be
0: yeah. well involved. Yeah, right. So, so it's not until, about paying your way in. It's working your way yeah, in. So right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, it's working.
1: And, you know, I mean, for want of a better term, you know, anyone that's ever been headhunted, it's knocked on the door. You yeah. Know, and it's because of all the systems and processes that
0: they do are right. in place. Yeah. You know, okay. So and now yeah, this makes know, so much sense because the, co- the team's called the Hunters, so you're going to be the head hunters. Oh yeah, there you go. No, I don't know about, I, I don't know if we'll go down that line, but, um, but
1: yeah, there definitely is potential to to, to do that. So, um, phenomenal. Yeah, I believe I believe it can happen. It's just it's a matter of fact getting everyone on the bus, but also getting everyone on, on, on the right seat on the bus, pulling in the one direction. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Well,
0: that sounds so exciting. How, how can people get involved and support that?
1: Okay, so I guess from a from a basic point of view. Um, and most of the traveling teams that come up here they're really great they bring bring old playing kits or boots to donate which is obviously great for a, um for a country that that is crying out for that and that, that's our national sport so but for me i reckon the, but at a basic level that football would the actual footballs themselves would be the highest in demand so my players ask me football all the time to take back to their local clubs when they go really and while playing kits yeah, while playing kits might benefit, you know, one team and a, and a pair of boots might benefit one person, a quality football could, can benefit a whole competition. Yeah, 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 Um So if there's any, I guess, if there's any ball makers out there listening and they got any seconds or, or anyone who wants to make donations, um, that would be greatly appreciated. So that's just at a, I guess, at a basic level. Yeah. Now, I, I had a really good think about this the other day. Um, and one thing that just keeps coming back to me would be that the lack of quality coaching. So, on a, on a higher level, if there were people, organisations out there who wanted to donate time and resources to coach upskilling, that would, you know, most definitely help. So, I was thinking maybe we could encourage, like the coaches without borders program, um, but not only could benefit PNG, but any emerging nation, regular league nation.
0: That's a fantastic okay. idea, and a fantastic yeah, name. Okay. Again, I've got these all these great ideas, but it's about putting it into
1: practice. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, you need help with those sort of things and being exposed to, you know, bigger things like this podcast and, you know, someone might come knocking on my door and say, oh, I can help you out there. So I'm, I'm always
0: open and welcome welcome for that. Yeah, okay, and also, Matthew, I'm going to get you a, a place that you'd want those balls sent and we can put that um, into our socials um, because that, yep. that's that's a great idea and that is something small and easy that anyone is sitting – now, often we have people contact us saying, what can I do to help? and And we say, well, we'll – We'll try and find out. That ball one is a really yeah. simple one um, to start yeah. with, and then the coaches without borders is, is, is such a great um, idea, and I can't wait to see. Once we put stuff out in the universe, mate, often it happens. So that's a great idea. Yeah. I really hope yeah, it comes it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, mate. This no, has no, been great. And if you've got any other questions or yeah. comments you want to do before we finish, oh, mate, just uh, I just really like to thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, having listened
1: to to. to some Of the content that you've had on there, it's, it's, it's great to hear the content from all around the rugby league world and hear about the growth of our game. So, as you mentioned before, look, um, I spoke to Rob Bergen over the weekend, um, just having a bit of back, background knowledge of, of, of his story, and it's an amazing story of the impact that rugby league not only had on his own life but how he's how now used that to influence uh, making an impact across the game mm. and, and globally. So, I guess, Rob. He's a a fairly humble man and would probably embarrass me talking about him like this. But (laughs) I think those are the the stories that we need to shed some light on because people are working ridiculously hard in the background and to allow players from almost any country in the world now to play the great game that we we love on the international stage. So I find that sort of stuff so inspiring. So I'd also just like to thank you for your interest in in, in the Hunters and, and the game in PNG. So
0: Thanks, Big T. Uh, I've enjoyed it, mate. Yeah, no, not at all. It's a, it's a, um, just like you, Champion, I love listening to what's happening around the world. It's the best sport in the world, and it seems to magnetise the best people in the world to it. So it's it's fantastic to talk to people like yourself. Well, thanks, Matty. Thanks
1: for having me on, okay.
0: T. Lovely bloke. We here at Chasing Kangaroos love the idea of sending footballs and coaches to PNG. We will post up two addresses. You can send the footballs in gear to one in PNG and one in Queensland. Also, if you're looking to coach and want to see change, take this year to get accredited and then get over there. We can hook you up with Matthew if you're interested and you can go and be part of something special. Speaking of something special, the second interview is done by carbs and here's with Stanley Janay. Take it, carbs.
3: So my guest today represented the PNG Kumuls at three World Cups in 1995, 2000 and 2008. He spent 14 years playing at the highest levels in England for Hull K.R., Hull FC, Huddersfield, Bradford and Halifax, and he's described as a legend of the Papua New Guinean sporting culture. Uh, his age is one of Rugby League's greatest mysteries. Welcome to Chasing, <laughs> Chasing Kangaroos, Stanley Jean.
4: Uh, it's a pleasure uh, having me on board, Michael, and uh, uh, probably good night, good good night over there to all the listeners, and uh, uh, probably a morning here back in England.
3: <laughs> yeah, mate, it's fantastic. <clears throat> mate, tell me about your current role at Hull KR. What are you, what are you working on at the moment? What's happening?
4: Yeah, I'm just a back at here. I was in you know, the club that brought me in. I retired actually here and um, went into coaching with the academy and uh, and then involved with the first team before I went on as a full-time head coach up in Newcastle. Uh, at the time, it was Gateshead at Thunder. Um, so I, I've been out of the game for about four years. I spending spending uh, more time with my younger boy because the older one I've, uh, you know when you play uh, Super League by the end of the season you go and play for PNG in the, you know in, in all the tests and stuff so that's awesome. I didn't spend much I didn't spend much time with, with the younger one so uh, that's why I took four years out and now he's doing his year eight uh, and I was ready for, to come back so uh, luckily Tony Smith he had was head coach and uh, give me that opportunity to come back so uh, yeah I'm I'm sort of helping out the, with the first team and uh, reserve grade as well. calls for the reserve grade and uh, help, help with the committee and the, all the schools and, and, and anything to do around the club. Yes, I'm I'm there to do it. Uh, really enjoying it now, and uh, it's like uh, you know getting back uh, to my. Uh, normal routine.
3: Well, man, it must be great getting back to Hull KR, where it all began for you over there in England, but but take me back to the young man who grew up in Goroka in, in PNG. Do you remember your first rugby league memory?
4: Yeah, you know, as I said, we, we used to play, we call it village game back home, and uh yeah I used to play for a settlement team or a ghetto team which you we call it Genoka and it's one mm-hmm. of the roughest uh, uh, settlement in 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 Groka and uh, you know in my teens uh, going to high school I used to uh, stay there um in in, in, in the and play with, play rugby with the kids and we uh, that's how I started playing but uh, I, I actually started playing soccer in school oh, yeah. I, was, I was quite I was quite good at it yeah and then how I sw- switched to rugby league was um, when I was in high school a couple of my mates uh, represented schoolboys and they toured Australia. And they came back, and my mate was showing me all these pictures of, of Sydney Abba Bridge and you know Sydney Football Stadium, uh-huh. and I just thought uh, I might as well just jump on board and, and play rugby league because uh, they they are going over and seeing another part of the world rather than playing soccer. So uh, uh, it wasn't quite long for me, and you know, I've, I've changed and I've started playing probably rugby league in uh, eighty eight, you know, eighty six, eighty seven, and and that's it. Uh, the whole was history, but I've, I've always played. Uh, we we have four um, settlement teams or the ghetto around Goroka, so we, we play a comp in between us ourselves. And luckily, we came up with this uh, police team. The the police uh, royal constable of Papua New Guinea was uh, you know in Goroka. Then yeah. we came up with the idea that um, it'd be good for them to sponsor us, you know, and. Most of the young kids around the ghetto are doing, you know, little petty crimes like you know pickpocketing and uh, stealing the shops and shoplifting and all that sort of stuff. And you know, if, if the police can give us something to occupy our time, um, then we can, you know, the, the crime will sort of uh, c- cut the low upset. And the police did; they sponsored us, and they call them my royals, and um, that really changed. Especially the young kids, yeah. uh, where they used scared of police, and and then the police had a, a really good relationship between the the all four settlements, and that's how we created um, the police team in in Goroka. And you know they've uh, sponsored us, pay for our boots, uh, take us in the you know in the police cars every weekend to the games. You know they, uh, I was fortunate enough that I was playing quite well, and um, they've always invited me to the single. Single police barracks quarters where all the, the single guys, the young kids, policemen, goes and eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, yeah. Wow. Where I go, I go in and have, have you know have all the food and stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, you know for me the police played a big part in in, in my career as well in Goroka. So you know I've always try and uh, give some old rugby shirts back to the police team back home and and especially
3: through the settlement games. That is incredible. So yeah, that's
4: yeah. Th- that's that's how it all started for me, and uh, after that, uh, I started playing, but uh, playing into the town team. Which every in Papua New Guinea we have like each league in in each city or in, in each town. So they've got about twelve to sixteen teams that yeah. play comp. Yeah. And and then out of that, they now we got that interstate teams uh, called intercity cup and that's when they select all these out of the 16 teams from the like Goroka rugby league they've select gorokolanis which represent uh each state to play so we travel around to play that uh, in the city cup
3: and is that how and you got, after that, is that how you got yes, selected then, eventually for so you played your first test against France in port Moresby, 1994 yes so that's how you got selected so in, yeah
4: yes definitely because um in in 92 uh, at a time the the position I was playing was halfback and we have uh, quality halfback around the time because yeah. we've got a, a, a player called Sam Carrara who's uh, the number seven representing Papua New Guinea and he lives in the same village as me. He lives about oh wow. uh, a hundred meter walk and I always look up on him as a as a you know player that I'd, I'd like to see and the number seven reminds me of uh, Peter Stelling. that's how i go going to oh, play wow. yeah uh, I actually saw him on Friday night he was invited back to hall FC at the derby game and oh, Peter was he there was, <laughs> he, he was there yeah he invited him and he took the meth ball onto the uh, the field before the kickoff that's so um it was it was great to see a guy that and I admire so much and um, a team that, you know, if I could remember the whole team from number eight Ray Price to uh, Peter Selin, Brett Kenny, uh, Mike Cronin, Steve Vela and Eric Groth, all represented Parramatta to Nishout Wills to, to Australia. So back in the day, that was my team, yeah, Parramatta. So you are a fan, did, yeah did you get to so see saw, did you get to pe- see
3: much like new south wales rugby league or anything back then could you see it back home could it could No you?
4: we only we only saw the uh the NRL but because we live in the village we, yeah. we used to walk up about 15 20 minutes into a, a only one hotel and that hotel's got um, at the public bar they they've a, a TV right at the top yeah but we're not allowed to go in so we used to put, like little empty drums to stand up and... Look through the window just to watch NRL because we don't have no TV back, you know, back in the village. That's so crazy. We used to walk up into the town just to watch rugby.
3: That's incredible. And so, and be- yes. before you know it, you're representing Papua New Guinea and you won your your first test against France, twenty nine twenty two, and I think you kicked a field goal that day. Can you tell me like what was it like that first time wearing that problem jersey?
4: Oh, it's, you know, everybody in PNG, every kids their dream, you know. Yeah. At that time, our dream is just to, the pinnacle, you know, the Mount Everest is putting the jersey on. Yeah. But as, as time moves on and, you know, you've got players like me and Marcus Bai and all the guys who are playing, you know, abroad, now the kids are looking at wearing the jumper, wearing the PNG jumper, but... Their sort of pinnacle is to go and get a contract somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, or for them now is to play for PNG Hunters. But back back then it was um, we had Sam Caro who lives with me. Uh, from me, there's a guy called Tony Killer He's another good halfback. You got Tuxi Caru, who's another good five eight. Um, there's like the three top halves, and then. When I came in, you got Adrian Lem, who's, you know, and then you got another guy called uh, late Aquila Emil, who, who passed away. Yeah. So there was like quality halfbacks and they knocked me back in 92. I uh, represented the uh, junior Highlands drone, and I was quite, I thought I was ready to come in. They, they knocked me back and then to, to make the Goroka side, I had to go and sit on the bench for Sam Carrara. And then one time he got injured and they put me on and that's it. Um, I, I, Go about at number seven, Jesse, and represent Goroka. And uh, in 92, they put me on the Jones side instead of, they said, you're still young. So yeah. we went on to win the the first Highlands team to go down and win the the Joan championship um, trophy. Uh, we, we beat um, the Southern Jones, which is the team in the city, <laughs> Port Mosby. Most of them were Port, M- Port Mosby Vipers and current kumus Yeah. And that's when that's when I first flew on a plane. I've never
3: flown on oh, a plane, wow. yeah.
4: So it was the first time I flew down, and uh, it, it was all like the plane itself. I remember getting loads of pictures sitting in that little plane. Yeah, a uh, lo- loads of memories to, to bring back, and yeah, and we won down there, and you know, nobody ever heard of me, so. I played well, got men of the match that game, and everyone in the city was saying, like, who's that kid? Who's this guy? Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, so in ni- ni- 93, they they put me into the intercity side. We won. We were the first team from the Highlands to win the cup from Port Moresby Vipers. Uh, always Port Port is the win. So 93, we won that. And then in 94, uh, they got me to play in uh, the younger side. So it's like a, the PNG Colts. Yeah. So I wasn't. I wasn't in the, the the test team who were based in Mosby. So we played friends in a trial match in in Medellin, and one of the players who was there was Mark Moom at the time. He, he was playing for Canberra Riders. and um, he was playing um, seven. And I was playing six, and then he got in, and he was in the team. So he got injured. I twisted his ankle, and they flew me that late night on that Sunday to cover for Martin
2: oh,
4: I mean, wow. Uh we beat friends down there. I got none of the match as well, so they flew me down to sit on the dance, and uh, it was uh, Adrian Lamb and Karu who played in the halves, and uh, about nine minutes to go, um, they pulled me in, and uh, I set up a try and got a field goal, and we beat them, yeah, by 29,
3: 29 22. That's incredible. That, you weren't even meant to play. Yeah, yeah wow.
4: I wasn't actually in the team, yeah, so, yeah. you know, so, sometimes I look at it as, as luck, and, you know, when you get a luck, uh, I, I, I told myself, you know, I've got to be there, and, and that's it, uh, the rest was history.
3: Well, the luck continued, man, because, like you just said, you, you only just recently yes. flown on a plane, and then before you know it, you're on your way to England for the World Cup in 1995, and, and this is kind of where it really began for you, because you, yes. yeah, you got noticed by Hull K.R., but but talk to me about this decision yes. to move away from home to the other side of the world to play rugby league. Was that difficult? Tell me about it.
4: Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, you know, uh, difficult and a tough decision because um, at a time, um, uh, English is like a uh, you know, it, it, it's a language that you have to go to school to learn. Uh, uh, yep. We have over eight hundred. We have over eight hundred plus different languages, and say if my mom's from. Uh, Gold Coast, and but that's from Toowoomba. There's two different languages, t- totally different. Yeah, well, wow. so, so when I went to school, you know, you go to learn English, but it, it, English is one of the toughest language. And uh, for for me to come over in '95 World Cup, you know, as I said it everything sort of fall in place. So '92, I went down and won the John John Championship Cup. '93, won the Intercity Cup. And then '94 came in and changed the game. But, uh, we beat France. Um, as I said, I wasn't in the team. I was in the uh, the Coles team. But luckily, Mark Mom got injured, and he gave me that opportunity. And I seen, you know, now and then he used to be based in Goroka, and I said, "Oh, thank you for giving me, giving <laughs> me that uh, little gap." So, and then '95 World Cup. You know, as, as any any other player, you know, my, my goal and my focus is to be in the team. And uh, luckily, um, I was I was in the in the team, and uh, that for me was the uh, one of the things I've never forgot. Uh, I was I was back in the village, and I've told my little brother to go and buy a paper because we know that that Monday they'll announce the team in the paper. And uh, he went up and got a paper, and it was like, I could see him from the top of the mountain. He was running down the hill yeah. towards my house, and I, I saw him running and like so excited. So I knew that uh, I was in the team. And, uh, yeah, we were camped in, 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 Mosby and, uh, we flew all the way to France and, uh, to England. We played our first game at, in Hull, uh, against Tonga. And I think one of the games that loads of, uh, rugby league supporters in Hull never forget because it was uh, like 22 nil or something and, uh, we came back in the second half and uh, drew, I think, 28, 28 or something. Oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah, They always, all these sports now said, we thought you were playing with, like, hot potatoes. <laughs> so, you know, both teams were just passing the ball around. That would have been incredible. They've never forgot that game. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, the, the cold the cold weather was uh, a little bit different to me. You know, as I said to you before, I've been uh, on a little plane back home and uh, F-28, and then when you fly in the big plane to, I mean, I'm, yeah, the, the whole experience of seeing Singapore and I thought it was a city on its own but it was a, a airport you know most of the things were just uh, you know new to me in my face or everything was like you know in my face and um, but going and playing the game was I think one thing that I, I love doing apart from you know traveling and doing all the training because you just want to get on the field and do the job and we played at Boulevard and uh, after that game, they were impressed and so they asked me, John cool and Marcus bai, uh, that if we interested in coming back and I didn't know what contracts were, you know, and yeah. I didn't know anything about it. And they said, oh, they'll give me a car, they'll give me a house, they'll pay me a few, few pounds to come over and play and then we went up to, uh, we said, oh, we'll think about it and we went up to St. Helen's and played uh, New Zealand and then after that we went back home and uh, they keep, there was whole FC and whole care was interested in me, both teams. So um, I left it with uh, one of the PNG rugby league uh, manager and I uh, just told them that uh, they got my post office box, and they they said they're gonna get in touch with me at a time. We don't have mobile phones. Yeah, I don't have a phone at home, so um, every time they ring, they ring the police station. I give the police station number, our local police station,
2: oh, wow.
4: and then whoever is on duty will um, will pick up the phone and said, "Oh, if, if it's from England, they'll so give us give us twenty minutes. We'll uh, we'll bring Stanley in, so a place to drive all the way to the village with a siren and a loud hail up, PHS saying, St. Stanley, come on, so, get up here, you got a phone call from England. So for, they take it <laughs> so to, I used to run station up the station for hill. a phone call. <laughs> yeah, I used to run up to the hill and then they'll say, come on, come on. So I used to go and wait till oh, the yeah. phone rings again and I'll talk to them. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then when we came back, that's when the, both teams were interested but Halkins and Rovers were more, every other week I get all these, um, magazines and videos and history about a club and the following year in 96, uh, Super League broke away with NRL yeah. and Super League Super lost League these uh, big Super Nines in Fiji and that's when we were, went to play in Fiji. I, I was selected in the team and we beat uh, England in the semi-final with my uh, field goal again I got a field goal and we beat him I think 14 to 15 or something went to the finals with uh, New Zealand and New Zealand beat us and the team manager for England was a guy called Phil Lowe he used to play he's a, one of the great beaten England players he used yeah. to play for mainly for a long time and he, he was the team manager for England uh, at the same time he was one of the board of directors at Old so he came up and bought a contract over and he said, "Oh, the club really wants you. After seeing you play, uh, we, we want to take you um, to England now." And I didn't have any excuse. I just said, "Oh, I haven't got any clothes. You know, I, I didn't bring anything." And uh, he signed a uh, American Express check or something, and he said, "Go in there, and you can get any thing you want in there."
3: So, so you went straight uh, <laughs> from Fiji to England. Not didn't even go back home. No.
4: No, I went, and then I said, "No, I go to see, I go to see, I go to see my family. Yeah. i I to go back and see my family." Wow. so I, so I end up uh, heading back home, and uh, me and John, um, they brought a contract for us to sign, and Marcus was signed by All of FC. Yeah, uh, I think if they would have brought me on my own, I wouldn't have picked the, t- the chance of jumping on a plane. But because it's three of us, uh, you know, we can bounce off each other when when we are down and missing family and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. We- We went back home and my family, my mom didn't want me to go. Uh, All my uncles were like, come on, just get on the plane, go and see. Try your luck and if it doesn't happen, you know, give it a crack and that's it. When all my uncles and everybody, we killed pigs and, you know, the big fish going like a wedding party going on and uh, with all the blessings and everything, I I took off and left the shows, uh, the warm country from the mountains to uh, England, how?
3: That is incredible, man. That is like, for most of our listeners, that would just sound like a whole nother world. Like, it's what a crazy well, story. Oh, it's
4: totally different. <laughs> you know, I was still living, I was still sleeping in a, you know, mud hut uh, house, you know, covered with, uh, you know, all the haze and uh, bamboos, uh, mat round it, you know, no power. We drink water from the creek. You know, I still used to go down to school walking down and fetching some water on, uh, on the um, uh, empty cans or uh, water bottles or, uh, you know, buckets and bring them up. So everything was just uh, a shock to the system.
3: Well, man, since then, like, you played three World Cups. You won a World Club Challenge for Bradford against the Tigers in 2006. You helped clubs earn promotion and establish themselves in Super League. Many call you the greatest Papua New Guinean and Kumul to ever play the game. But what is your absolute career highlight? What is the one thing that you would love to take your kids back and and show them?
4: Uh, for me, um, the biggest one that I'll I will say is I'll never forget is the as a player who plays in that position as halfback, a guy who who stands on the field and, and, and you know tell everybody what to do, uh, yeah. brings the game plan on, and and then to speak english you know which is not your language uh that's probably a highlight for me to to come over playing the halves and start learning the language again and knowing the accent because you in know in a hall is a totally different accent yeah and um for me that's a challenge of playing the halves but you know sometimes i get really mad if they don't understand my language yeah. uh, my english and then we ever go each other and i started you know, swearing in my language. They say in the place. What are you saying? I said, "Oh, sorry, I've, I lost it. I lost it." So, and <laughs> um, yeah, that's for me. It's it's that that always springs out to mind. I always tell my kids that you know that were was so tough for me, but you know, I have to overcome that to to get on the field and you know and and play. But uh, I think what one that stands out is um uh the. 97 Wembley. Uh, we, we were just had an opportunity to uh, play in the plate cup but just the experience of going there and people always say about Wembley is one of the stadium that you know it's like all uh, gladiators luck, lucky to go there and play yeah, so yeah. I was I was lucky to be there for the captain race and scored a try so just the experience of going there was uh, unbelievable.
3: That's beautiful man. Is, it, is, there anything, were... is there anything like looking back that you didn't quite achieve that you wish you did?
4: Uh, you know, it, it, when I look back, for me, I always look uh, for more the positive side of things in life, you know, even though when I finished, even when I was back home before I came, I'm always uh, trying to turn any negatives to positive, yeah. you know, and uh, I, I had a chance, you know, when uh, Wayne Bennett, uh, when Bob Bennett, uh, was coaching PNG. Uh, I had a chance of you know having a trial with Broncos and then Metyridge um, uh, spoke to me one you know them years ago about having a crack up at Mainly. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance of uh, uh, Western sub- suburbs, but um, at the time I had contracts you know like a year or two still left on my on 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 my contract, so it's quite hard for me to just leave. Uh, looking back, I just thought you know. I, if I had a chance, I could have proved myself at, N- at NRL. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't change anything for um, for what I've, I've done. Um, I, you know, I'm really humble and appreciate uh, the things that I've done and achieved here.
3: It's actually really refreshing to hear someone sticking to their contract. So that's, that's actually probably a really good thing, man. Nowadays, you know, contracts break yeah, at the top I've... of a hat.
4: I've always, you know, when I was at Hoke at the time in 2007, uh, St. Helens came in for me, you know, and I could have gone, but I said, oh, this club brought me, um, you know, from the other side of the world here, and, you know, we play in first division, but you know, they brought me here, the money wasn't great, you know, I was on 50 quid a week, about 200 pounds a month, uh, mm. but, you uh, it's the club that brought me here and you know I will give whatever it takes uh, for the for the club and it's like back home we all you know it's about um, uh, the trust and you know the faith that you have in your family and, and lo- uh,
3: you know, we've loyalty. got tribes yeah. Yeah. You know,
4: that's the word loyalty yeah. so in, in our tribes we got different you know languages we got different uh, tribal things that we do and we stick we, we, we're always loyal to the family and loyal to our clan and and our tribe. So, uh, yeah, okay. uh, Alkinson always was like one of my...
3: That were your tribe? One of my tribe. Yeah, yes. I love that. I love that, man. <laughs> I really want to know, because during your, your career, you played almost every position, and obviously you played mostly in the halves, but was that your preferred position, halfback, or what, what, what was your favourite? At a
4: at, at time, yeah. You know, I, I, I was uh, playing seven and I went on to six and then probably as, 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 as the question they've always asked but as I said as the years go by uh, I keep coming down the pecking order so from 7, 6 and it came down to back row uh, but really enjoyed back row because at the time I put a bit of weight on and with a ball in hand <laughs> yeah. you know I, yeah, I, I can uh, you know break tackles and, and things like that so I was playing the back row and then end up playing loose forward but, uh, you know me, as as Tony Smith always said to me, just, just just give him the ball and uh, and he'll run. He can play on the wing or the other wing or fullback or anyway, he'll just he said just get carry the ball and run.
3: Let and, him go. Yeah, uh, as I
4: yeah. But I've enjoyed playing. But I mean, I started off playing seven, and I think I enjoyed more of six, sort of freedom for me to run with the ball or kick or pass the ball. Yeah. Who
3: who was the best player you ever played with?
4: Oh that's you know that's what uh, they come in different you know different ways from say it. but I tell you one guy that I have sort of looked at him didn't have the chance to play with him more was uh, Jason Smith Oh yeah um the guy was you know like, he he gets the ball and when he's running he, he runs like a little bit slow but you you it, it think it's slow motion the way he Attracts defenders in and he knows when to pass the ball, and he, he was so good, you know, so good. But what I was surprised is we used to do, um, we used to go do some weights uh, when I was at Hall of FC, and uh, he'll come out and have his little tub, he'll go for a little smoke outside and then get back in the gym. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then he'll go out and he'll rip for 80 minutes quality. Yeah, that's I think great. that's one player that uh, he hasn't got a body of, you know, like all ripped up. He's just, Jason, but when he gets on the field, he play all the quality comes out of him.
3: He's one of those players that I'm glad you mentioned him because he doesn't get mm. like he's up there with, you know, the Bradley Clydes and the Brad McKay's and that sort of yeah. style of player, but he you don't get a lot of mentions, um Jason Smith so that, yes but... that's that's awesome man I have to ask you so one of the greatest mysteries in rugby league and I'm going to read something from from online it's uh, it says this yeah Stanley Jean's exact date of birth is not officially known <laughs> it is being researched as a matter of national importance by the Papua New Guinean National Agricultural Research Institute and the Department of Family yeah. and Church Affairs so mate your, your yeah. age is one of the greatest mysteries in rugby league but how old are you do you even know when your birthday is
4: yeah you know what, you'll have to uh, keep it that way so it'll be a mystery thing when <laughs> I die.
3: <laughs> I love that, man. It's That's funny. fantastic.
4: It was funny. Today, We we um the boys were doing some wrestling, so we split the group. Because the weather was bad, we were all doing everything indoor. Yeah. Anyway, so one of the group came in and one of the players pulled out. All of the forwards came in and one of the players pulled out, so they have to be in twos to wrestle. So anyway, they looked around, all the coach stuff. looked around and I thought, oh, jeez, there's no one going to do it. So I end up doing and we were like wrestling each other. So you wrestle for about half, half a minute and then you change. Another one comes on and you're doing it. And, uh, yeah, I came out and I took my shirt out and i was like, I nearly spewed. That's the first time I probably do some proper training.
3: Oh, well. Wow.
4: And uh, yeah, it was tough. But the boys are wrestling, they go, they said, you are strong. So I said to them, okay, you better be playing well because if not, I'll be... Max, you might be playing the reserve grade first.
3: He's still got it, man. But,
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, people ask about it. Uh, and um, as I said, it, it, it's great because even when I was playing Super League, um, Steve, Steve used to have the, one of the uh, Sky Pundits. How old is this guy? And every year I come in, I keep proving him wrong and, uh, you know, keep playing as, as uh, you know, as as young as I am. But um, mentally, I'm always strong. And as I said, I've, I love playing. I, I love the, the question they keep asking. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I won't tell them. <laughs> so you, you can put it, you, you can put a number between uh, twenty-one and sixty-nine, and you can pick one out of that.
3: <laughs> as long as, as long as you know, that's fine. That's all. That's all we need. That's fine. Um,
4: yes, yes, yes. yes.
3: Mate, I I want to talk about rugby league back home. So, like this, this, yeah. this podcast is all about development and growing the game around the world. Yes. And there isn't a place in the world that where rugby league is more popular than Papua New Guinea. But w- w- there's there's a lot going on there. Obviously, you mentioned the PNG Hunters, and and there's an excellent pathway now. For players from yeah. from Papua New Guinea into the NRL, because of that, what do you what do you wish for the future in Papua New Guinea rugby league, or what needs to happen for for say the Kumuls to win a World Cup one day?
4: I believe that we got to get back down, crack everything down back to uh, grassroots level. Yeah, uh, invest more time with the juniors. You know, and as I said, it's it's a very tough. Um, to be in PNG because everybody play rugby league Yeah, and you know you, you go up in the mountains you know you go to the seasides any place uh, especially the mountains you know it's like there's no field and people cut bushes down you know clear trees if there's a little um, flat bit there they'll just play on it you know there's no ball. I remember when, when I was playing back then playing touch football We there's no rugby ball so we should, we should tie you know bananas, banana skins up or rubbers up or plastic to play with it you know and uh, it it's so hard to because of the diverse countries we are it's so hard to really go in there and you know invest the time but I just think that if we can break it down and get back into uh, building this uh, junior level of uh, rugby up uh, it, it'd be great because and then you got the only thing you got is the PNG hunters but you know in PNG hunters you only got a, a squad of i don't know 30, 30 players to play yeah but the country itself is so big so you know we got to find something like probably a junior you know, under 18 so under 16 hunters so the younger ones can come through a system mm. and then and then the older ones go through the system I, I believe that if the, the players were in the hunters if they're good enough, we don't have to hold them too long. We send them to Q Cup or we send them to New South Wales League if you know if, like a couple of boys now going. Yeah. And then we bring we bring the rest through the system. At the moment we I know it's tough because PNG hunters want to win the competition. Yes, but then is it about winning the competition or is it about the development of the players as well?
3: Yeah. That's-
4: and I I believe that if we send more players abroad to better coaching, better lifestyle, uh, then when you pick the national team, you gotta balance of picking. And um, I, for one, you know, I, I can see where the, the the confusion and the, some of the players' anger come from. Is that you know I was a local kid back then, yeah. and um, when I was playing, I was dreaming about playing for the PNG Kumuls. And then when I come through to represent PNG Kumuls, they selected all the players who plays overseas, who lives overseas, mm. and you know that's where the you know the Teams are not for the national selectors. You know, you have to be uh, pick the best, team and that means picking the, the guys who are playing NRL. You know, Q Cup, yeah. New South Wales Cup, or playing England. But then, do you think it's fair for the boys who've been, you know, paying the registration that, that that gives the money back to PNG Rugby Football League and the guys who's been playing in you know hard surface and when it rains and you know all their dream is to represent PNG hunters or and then to represent Papni in Kumul you know and we look at it are we fair on that because we, we thought about it before and we used to have this team the Reds against the Blacks uh, or or where we used to have all the obvious players against the PNG local players and then we have a game together whoever shown in, in that we select for the PNG um, th- and and, and th- that's one we got to look at you know we've got to have probably have another team that can you know like the hunters that, that can play. we are going to have more test matches as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tour to Samoa, you know, and give other players the challenges. And I think when I've been back, we don't really tag on these young kids who come through, you know. We, like, say, last year, before last year, the last five, six years, every time the, the PNG... Prime Minister 13 come and play. They always bring a New South Wales side or a Queensland side, select yeah. side that played a PNG under 16, under 17. They don't have a database of these players. Mm. So We've got to keep the database of these players, whatever high school they come from, whatever school they're calling, we are got to tag them up and see how their training is and you know follow them through because we can't just let them go. And that's where the kids. You know, won't develop.
3: It sounds like, from what you're saying, that there's there's so much talent there that we're kind of missing out on that that aren't getting through that yeah. are, that are probably good enough. And yeah, I think you're right. We need to find ways to 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 help them come through to that keep pathway. Them, yes. Keep them in the game. And
4: I, it is. And, and and the biggest things about um I for me personally is about the positional specific coaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I say, you, you see the hunters players or the PNG Kumul players, so they go signed by an a NRL team, but when they're coaching at top level, they don't have time, you know, <clears throat> to break the kids down. Because I went down to see the PNG players and mm. the Hunters players. As a winger, you should know your roles. Yeah, You know, as a job, you know, you see a electrician, you know if you go in there, you have to put a power first and then do whatever wise you need to connect. As a winger, you have to, from full back, all the way to getting, you go to know your roles, Yeah, what your roles are, when to drop back. And that's what I think we need to coach work individually with players. And then that's probably come from experienced players. You know, if if it's David Wesley, who's with the props, middles, he can work with them and tell them their roles and what you need to do and all that sort of stuff. Because by the time they go up there, most of the PNG players, you know, you're looking at Justin Olam. He had to go back down, in the feeder club, to play, to learn his trade again, Mm. learn his roles. You know, you look at all the PNG players, the other one who's going to South now, he's got to know his roles, how to cover the back three, when to come in. Yeah. yeah, When to come in to defend or when to hold and chill and wait and all this sort of stuff. If these kids knows, then, you know, they know the basics of playing and you know professional football. So when they get there, their minds are all set. But I don't think we've coached that into them from junior level to to the hunters level and all and so on so when you come through the system you go to play in for the png and the boys from offices comes in they know the system ready and yeah. they know their positional specific role and i think that's one thing that the boys we have to implement in schools or in junior level so that their mind is set for uh, all these simple basic plays, you know, half-back what he needs to do, yeah. you know, if, 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 if half-back could a play on, who does he hold? You know, yeah. not just running for the sake of running, and the back row, what's my role? I'm Who am I hitting? The three men, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. full-back out outer back, and all that sort of things, yeah.
3: So it's more like, and it's more professional sort of training technical. at those junior, yeah, technical yes. training at those levels, you yeah. know, because it, it, it sounds like just a bunch of boys and girls sort of getting together with a makeshift ball and it having is. a game, you know, so it needs to be more... Yes. Professionalized in a way, mate. I've got one hypothetical question to end with. Yeah. this has been an incredible conversation. Like, it's what a story. Yeah. But I want to know hypothetically, like, if Papua New Guinea, if the Kumuls ever won the Rugby League World Cup, what would happen? Like, you guys would have a a, a month worth of holidays over there, am I right? Like, it would be crazy.
4: Oh, mate. uh we. When I when my Goroka team won the. Uh, In 93, we won the cup. First time ever a team outside the city to bring the cup up. We had a a whole week just holiday. (laughs)
3: That's crazy. The whole
4: week. I'm I'm talking Goroka. yeah. The (laughs) provincial government put a holiday. Uh, We stayed in the sponsor's hotel for about two or three days, eating, drinking, anything in the hotel for free. Uh, one of the brewery called SP Brewery who sponsored the team, just give us, like, beers and cokes and everything for free. And that, that's, I'm talking just a little league, rocker league, but yeah. if you're talking, you know, rugby league, yeah, uh, we, in 2000, we qualified, like, um, we beat Tonga, which, uh, in France, and Tonga, where, like, they have, like, Solomon Omoana, all, all, the, all the top uh, NRL players in, and, yeah, uh, Everybody in that group thought Tonga was going to win it, and we surprisingly beat them and went into the the quarterfinals. And that was quite big—a big, big welcome we get. But if you talk about winning the win the uh, the World Cup, or even just beating Australia and and, and New Zealand, uh, it it'd be—I uh, can't imagine the the country would go wild.
3: They'd probably celebrate till the next World Cup. <laughs>
4: That's yeah. Oh, how- <laughs> It, it, that's how it will. mean, even a week too, we'll have a, we'll have a week public holiday.
3: That's the, crazy. I I, yeah. I I hope it happens one day because if there's a country that deserves it, it's it's Papua New Guinea because you guys just live and breathe it. And yes. Stanley, it's been um it's been incredible speaking to you, man. I want to say a big thank you for sharing your stories and your career with us, and and continuing to do what you do to, to hashtag grow the game. Um, thank you so much for chasing kangaroos with me tonight, and and and. You know, congratulations on a wonderful career.
4: Thank you very much, Michael, and uh, thank you uh, for having me on board uh, chasing the kangaroos. Next you... time I'll be chasing the kumuls, eh?
3: Yeah, that'll be beautiful. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> cheers, my, cheers, my mate. Good night over there, and I uh, you know, hope you're all okay, and uh, if you want to catch me up again and talk about life after rugby,
0: feel free. I'd love to, man. We'll
3: catch up again soon.
0: Phenomenal stuff. The story about him getting the call gave me tingles. Again, if you're keen to get involved with the support of the PNG football world, drop us a line on the socials and we'll try and connect you with the right people. Golden points. Most importantly, let's go straight to Russia. A new board of directors has been appointed by the governing body with assistance from the Rugby League European Federation. One of the news appointees is Englishman John Christie. He said... Do I do the accent? That's what I'm trying to think. <laughs> there is, I'm not going to. There is a new beginning for the sport. I don't know, John Christie. I'm worried he will be upset with me. There is a new beginning of the sport in Russia, and one I'm extremely excited about. 2020 will see the debut of our new domestic competition. Hooray! And the return of our national team for the European Championships. Now let's go to Perth, where the Dragons were the first NRLW team to beat the Broncos in a women's NRL grand final. Sure, it was a pre-season nines, GF, but we will take it. Staying in Perth, the North Queensland Cowboys prevented the Dragons taking home both trophies and thus making carbs insufferable. Congrats on that, Cowboys. And the final golden point from Perth is Jason Tamalolo was mind-bogglingly good. That is all. To Wigan, where the biggest Wolves went down 32-10 to 10 against the Warriors. Toronto are currently playing last year's top teams, and so this podcast won't be worrying about their season Until they play some of the cellar dwellers. To Samoa, where Apia have been confirmed as hosts of the inaugural Rugby League World Nines Confederation Cup, which will take place in Apia Park Stadium this October. The tournament, which was launched on Tuesday, will feature 12 men's and eight women's national representative teams, making it one of the largest international rugby league events held in the Pacific. Interestingly, players from the NRL and Super League will not be eligible to take part in the inaugural WNCC tournament. But in saying that, confirmed participants for this event include Australia, Samoa, China, and India, with additional nations will be announced in the lead-up to the tournament. And finally, tonight one of the new favorite my new favorite rugby league mascots of all time, the Pandas. The Day Pandas have emerged as winners of the 2019 Cameroon Rugby League Championship after the club secured top spot this week. In a shift from the inaugural season, there were no finals played in 2019 Championship, with the winner decided at the end of the regular season, which stretched from late July until late January. Up the bamboo! This is the thing I'm now trying to start. So, although we are missing carbs, we at least had a Dragon Nines win, Russian Admin win, and a Panda win. And all that at the tail end of a PNG special. You are welcome, people. Speaking of you people, thanks for listening, friends. Big thanks to Merch, our wonderful producer. Also, thanks to the RLIF.com, where I get most of my golden points from. Thanks, Mascot Browns, for their support. Get your discount by typing 2020 vision when purchasing your PNG merch or any other team merch. And finally, a mega thanks to Carbs for creating this unique and fascinating podcast. It's been a pleasure piloting it this week. And with that, we will talk to you next time, rude chasers.